Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this special slim-down edition of Sunday School, brought to you by Daylight Savings Time. So, the jokes won't get any better today. That's okay, though. All right, so let's start this morning like we do each week uh, with our Scripture Memory Passage Review. So if anybody's got 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and or 13... Where's Amy? I don't know. I'll call her out on the podcast. And then tag her on Facebook. Nice bank shot, Justin. Uh, it's my squirrel moment of the day right there. Sorry, he's shooting basketball in the back while you're rehearsing God's Word. So I'll make sure that gets on the podcast too. But he's not on Facebook, so I can't tag him. So that's how you... I can tag Carrie though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good to know. All right, Miss Darla. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. body is a unit. Yes. Ooh, which translation are we at here? Uh, I'm not familiar with this one. This is yeah. Keep going. Sorry. You see that? All right. I didn't learn that one. Okay. Why do you do this to me? I'm sorry. <laughs> what I really enjoy is that it takes you a, a couple seconds to figure out I do it every single week, every single week, because it it changes. Yes, that's right. So I don't think you would do that. Apparently. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so. The body is a body unit. The body is a unit. Yes. It is made up of many parts. Yes. And though, and though all its parts are many, it forms one body. Yes. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized into one body by one spirit. Yes. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Excellent. I like it. Good job. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well done, Mr. All right. So today we are in week uh, 10 of this fifth part of the application of redemption. Uh, there are three more weeks to go. So we're going to die next week, be gloriously resurrected the week after that, and then union with Christ two weeks after Easter. So I, when I laid this series out... Um, and and was deciding where to put things in the year and saw that we died right before Easter, I thought, that is fantastic. That's just perfect timing. So I'm excited about that. So let's let's review real quick that list on the front side of your handout there, page 19. Uh, For those of you that are are new to our class, uh, yes, this is uh, page 19. There's a larger document of all the other notes, and you can go to the website at the bottom of the page, stewartheights.org slash sundayschool, and find all that information on the website. So... Grudem talks about, uh, Wayne Grudem wrote the, the book Systematic Theology, 
That's our uh, textbook for this series. He talked about these different elements of salvation, uh, and we can draw from several different passages where we infer very, very clearly that there's a specific order to the salvation process. Uh, And Grudem starts off with common grace, and this is that grace that exists that enables us to be able to even exist and come to know uh, Christ. Uh, Then there's election. This is God determining uh, before the foundation of the world that Uh, There would be some that would be saved and some that would not be saved. Uh, Number two is calling. So this is both God reaching out and calling the lost, and our participatory part in this is uh, sharing of the gospel. Uh, Number three is regeneration. This is that uh, becoming becoming born again. Uh, Number four is conversion. This is turning from sin to Christ, so that single act that has two parts. Five is justification, the legal declaration. I do it every single time, don't I? The legal declaration of God, uh, whereby he says that we are not guilty. And the secondary component of that, which is just fantastic, right? That we get to have all of Christ's righteousness uh, credited to our account, which is way better than winning the Mega Millions because this will last forever. So this is good. Number six is adoption. Uh, It's the cherry on top of the milkshake. It is becoming part of God's family. Uh, Grudem talks about that he didn't think God had to do this, and I'm sure glad that he did because I've got a heavenly father because of it. Number seven is sanctification. This is growing and becoming like Jesus Christ. Um, Last week we looked at the filling in and the uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, which are not part of... Uh, salvation. There's not a secondary experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's part of salvation. And then today we look at perseverance. Uh, and this is the perseverance is the uh, the reformed way to say this. Uh, the perseverance of the saints. Um, if you're familiar with reform versus non-reformed theology, that's great. If you're not, that's great. If you grew up in Baptist churches, uh, you might have heard the phrase the eternal security of the believer. Virtually identical concept. Uh, Grudem argues pretty strongly for him in the book against using the phrase eternal security of the believer. Uh, I argue against using the term perseverance of the saints because perseverance is hard to spell. So I get it wrong every time. That was a lot funnier in my notes, so feel free to laugh or not. Thank you. I appreciate the pity laugh there, Ms. Carey. All right, so the question he's trying to answer today, I know, it's okay. I have liberty to do that, though, right? Galatians, so... Uh, so the question we're trying to ask today, trying to answer today, is how do we know that we can continue to be Christians throughout our lives? Do we have to worry about that? Are we safe? Are we not safe? What What's our perspective on this? So, here's how he defines perseverance of the saints: it means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives, and that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. So there's two pieces of it. So there's the side that says those that are really Christians will be saved and those that are really Christians will be saved and persevere all the way until the end of their lives. So there's two components to this. So we'll look at both parts. So big point A, uh, Grudem says all those who are truly born again will persevere to the end. Will persevere to the end. So let's look at John 6, 38 through 40 to start. And whoever gets the first first John reference, just stay in First John, whoever that person is, because we're going to be doing a lot of First John jumping back and forth. So, All right, Dave, you got John 6, 38 through 40? Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who has sent me. 
This is the will of the Father who has sent me, not that, uh, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. So Jesus is going to lose some, right? <clears throat> is that what your translation says? He's going to lose a little? Like rounding at the edges, we're going to lose some? Is that what your translation says? He's going to lose a little? How much is he going to lose? None. Like zero is how much he's going to lose, which is fantastic for us. Because if I served a God who even occasionally lost, then I have a problem. But I serve a God who always wins. Even on the day when he died, he won. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So let's look at John 10, 27 through 29. So a couple pages over. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So who has to do the plucking to get us out of Jesus' hands and God's hands? Nobody, right? Yeah, so he's going to win, and nobody can pull us out of his hands. I'm feeling pretty secure at this point. Right? Let's keep going. John 3, 36. A couple pages back. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Absolutely. So look at your translations. What do you have for that word everlasting? So I've got one that says everlasting, John three thirty six. Anybody else? Eternal. Anybody else? Everlasting, going once. Eternal, going once. You know what that means? What do you think that means, Tim? Everlasting. Everlasting. Yeah, this is, this is not rocket science, right? This is, this is pretty straightforward. Eternal means eternal. Everlasting means everlasting. Romans 8, 30. Romans 8, 30. Eight thirty. Oh, yeah, I skipped one. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Didn't skip a beat. Just skimmed. I watched your eyes. Your eyes went. Oh, okay. Watch me, guys. His eyes went. Oh, and he looked down. And not at what he was looking at. There's the page in his head where he's reading this off of. So that was. I wasn't ready for that. That was pretty cool. So. Um, so, if it, yeah, it's the mic drop right there, right? So he called, and the end with glorified. So if he called you, he's going to finish it. So he never loses. We can't be plucked out of his hand. And if he starts it, he's going to finish it. Now, I don't know if you guys went to school with anybody that was a bully, but at our school, in middle school, we had a kid that all, his big phrase was, if you start something with me, I will finish it. You guys ever heard this on the schoolyard? Oh, yeah. All right. So I'm, um, <clears throat> I think most of you all know my son, Caleb. Caleb is uh, 11. He'll be 12 next month. And Caleb weighs 65 pounds. On a good day, he weighs 65 pounds. Caleb is actually bigger than I was when I was his age. Scrawny, piddly, nothing. I was a freshman in high school. I was six foot one, 115. Awful, like 
scary, feed the boy, <laughs> call the United Nations, there's something wrong, there's war crimes that have been committed, it was bad. And I decided in my, in my infinite wisdom that when I was in the eighth grade that I had had enough of this guy that was saying, you start it, I will finish it. Because he kept fouling me in the pickup game in basketball. And he wouldn't, you know, we, we called our own fouls. And I'd call a foul, I didn't foul you, I didn't foul you. Yeah, you did. And don't do it again. Oh, you start something. You know, this kid's a foot taller than I am. If you start something with me, I'm going to finish it. All right, all right. He did it again. I said, don't do it again. He did it again. And the third time, I popped him right in the nose and bloodied his nose. <clears throat> and then he realized I had bloodied his nose. And what I found in that millisecond is that I was wholly and completely ill-equipped to handle with what was about to happen next. <laughs> but my friends were completely able to handle what happened next because four of them jumped on him and uh, that, was, that was my first uh, spanking in a public school. Uh, I got three licks for that. And... Uh, found out that I had a whole lot of friends, which was kind of cool. And I was also a marked man for the rest of that school year and had to make sure I didn't do anything stupid, but I had some friends that were ready for that. But uh, they had my back with a, if somebody starts something, they will finish it. And God has our back infinitely more comprehensive than that. So let's go to 1 Peter 1, 3, 4, and 5. It's the only fight I've ever been in, by the way. I like to watch a lot of them, but. Is that when you bring all of us? Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. <laughs> This is the reason we go in groups to UFC events. <laughs> First Peter 1, 3, 4, and 5. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> Tim, you got it? Awesome. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven. Anybody else have a different translation there for that word kept? Reserved. Anybody else? Some of you may have the word guarded. The, the idea is that it is, uh, it's actually got two different meanings, this uh, phoreo. Uh, it can mean kept from escaping, or it can mean protected from attack. And both of them work. Because we're not getting out, and nothing else is getting in. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. So uh, that's point A, all who are truly born again will persevere to the end. And then B, only those who persevere to the end have been truly born again. And it almost sounds like I'm saying the exact same thing there, but those are two different things. So those are two different things. So let's look at Matthew 10, 22. Get it? Matthew 10, 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> Sign me up. Like, give me the email subscription on a daily basis that shows me how to be hated every single day. So let's pause there for just a second, okay? <laughs> So, so we're going to do a series this summer about Solomon and social media. So what does the Bible say on how we are to engage with this? I didn't even come up with the title. I stole the title from a Canadian. He's an awesome guy. What does the Bible say about how we are to engage with a public 
viewable thing. And we're going to talk about a lot of different things. And I'm so glad that you actually did this because you have one of the most ridiculously positive social media presences I have ever seen in my life. It's, it's a, I love you. Just wanted y'all to know that. Cool. Let's say that. Let's not get on and run down somebody in a public fashion when we haven't gone and talked to them personally about it. That's not going to get a lot of amens, but just, right? So we know that we will be what because we are Christians? Saved. We will be saved because we are Christians. I love, he won't even start with the hated part, right? That's awesome. <laughs> that verse talks about we will be hated because we are Christians. Let's deal with it. Can we just deal with that and just put that in the, this is the known category that is to be expected. All right, so that was my squirrel for the day. All right, let's, let's start over. 10.22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. So, so in this perseverance of the saints, and this is one of the reasons Grudem likes the term perseverance of the saints, is it because it implies there is some level of involvement on our part as well? Now, we have already established that I cannot jump out of God's hand. God will always win, and He is going to finish what He started. And, not a but, and we have a role in this too. We are to persevere. This is our role in this. Grudem's issue with the term eternal security of the believer is it sounds almost to him, and I'm going to use an analogy that he doesn't use. What, what came to my mind when I read him on this was the way most of us drive on the interstate. There's this little button on the steering wheel that is what? Cruise, cruise control. We can put our Christianity into cruise control and go, I'm safe, I'm good, I'm riding down the eternal security of the believer highway. All right. Whereas the term perseverance of the saints Sounds like there's a little bit of opposition coming, right? So it's, it's almost this, well, does it matter? It's the same concept, right? But we have an obligation in this to actually do something, which is fantastic. So let's keep going. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Now, we went verse by verse through Colossians a few months ago. Was it? It wasn't years ago. Last year, right? Yeah, it was last year. Okay. And actually talked about this text quite a bit. So Colossians 1, 21, 22, and 23. Justin, you got it? Got it. Okay. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Yeah, and the only verse in there that, the only word in there that really kind of makes you go, what? Is the word if. Right? Like, you're good if you do this, which almost sounds like a works salvation. And we do not, we know, we, we do not have a works salvation, unless you want to consider Jesus works. Jesus worked, and so I don't have to, which is great. The word if there can, and I would say almost should, be translated as since. It's a very similar concept. Um, and the idea that here, Grudem, I'm going to quote you from Grudem, those whose faith is not real will eventually fall away from participation in the fellowship of the church. Has anybody ever seen this? Yes, yes, absolutely. And guess what? 
We will see it more. We will see it more. Let's go to 1 John 2, 19. 1 John 2, 19. I'm going to read you the longest quote I've ever read you from Grudem here in a couple of minutes about that concept. 1 John 2, 19. I know 1 John's a little bitty book. It's easy to skip by. Got it, Mitch? Excellent. All right, so you're my 1 John guy, right? Awesome. <laughs> they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us. So read that again for me, because there's a lot of clauses in there. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So the proof, can I rephrase it a certain way? The proof of my Christianity is not today. It is at the end of my life when I have either been found faithful or not faithful. Now, I can testify to a belief, to what I see in my life, all these different evidences, but the proof comes at the end. Which, which is why the funeral of a believer is such a beautiful thing. Because we get to look and say, we have confidence where this person is. Because God told us the end of a thing is better than the beginning. We'll go back to our, what is that, Ecclesiastes, I think. Ten things. Yes. Yes. So, uh, 1 John 2, 19. Next verse, my pages are sticking together here, is C, big point. Those who finally fall away may give many signs, many external signs of conversion. And this is the one that we don't like to talk about a lot. So let's go to Galatians 2, 4, and 5. And give many signs of external conversion. Because of what kind of brothers? False brothers. False brothers. When you find Galatians 2, 4, tell me what's in, word of, in front of that word brothers. False. False. So if somebody is false, that false is the opposite of true. So I want you to think about right now there are false brothers. There, there were false brothers. Those of you that are reading through the Bible with us, we have come across a few false brothers, and God dealt with them a very specific way in the Old Testament. Sometimes the earth swallowed them up. Pretty scary stuff. Yes? Uh, very well could be politicians. Very well could be somebody or some people in this room. So that's... Uh, the, the, the thing that breaks my heart... So I've been, I've been teaching at Stewart Heights now for 10 years plus... I guess, ish, somewhere in there. And I can give you name after name after name after name after name of people who came to my Sunday school class regularly and turned out they were not believers. And that scares me to death. So we're going to get to one of the prayers that I pray for you guys every single day here in a little bit. So can we continue Galatians 2, 4, and 5? I'm sorry, I went back. Well, no, it was my fault. I thought I'd highlight, and I got myself into trouble. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've learned in the Bible Gateway app not to click anything once you find the text this year. Yeah. 
Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we may have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield into submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So if somebody is slipping in and spying, does it sound like there is a larger play at work? Yeah, that's because there's a larger play at work. <laughs> the devil does not like the church. And the devil will send in false brothers who look really, really good. Matthew 7, 21 and 22 and 23. You got it? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So Jesus is giving us a description of these false brethren here. So they prophesied. That sounds really impressive, doesn't it? They cast out demons. I've never cast out a demon. I mean, that sounds, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're interviewing somebody for a church job, I prophesy, I cast out demons, I do miracles. Wow. Gee. Sounds like, sounds like we got a 100% vote right here. I mean, come on, right? And Jesus says, I never knew you. And that's scary. That is absolutely scary. Mark 4, 5 and 6. This is a, a, a parable about the sower. So we're going to read just the parts about the stony ground, four, 5 and 6, and then 16 and 17. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And then 16 and 17? Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when uh, they hear the word, immediately received it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a, for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises of the world's sake, immediately they stumble. So Jesus is telling us there will be people that we see and we know that look really flashy for a very short period of time. Sparkler Christianity. And here's my question for you. What do you do with the sparkler when the sparkler is done? You throw it away. Because they're fun to watch for a little while. They're fun to watch. They, they're fizzy and they're sparkly and they're bright and they're shiny. And then they run out of steam because they weren't really connected to anything in the first place. Okay? Hebrews 6, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Now, Grudem spends a couple of pages on this. It is, it is a lot, a lot of very specific 
uh, I, I would go as far as to say complex and sometimes confusing analysis of this text. But I will read you his summary here in just a second once we get to Hebrews 6, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Got it, Miss Leash? You don't want to? Uh, up, up. You got it there? Hebrews 6. Oh, yes. I was highlighting, sorry. <laughs> Did you not just listen to Miss Mila? <laughs> Mine's better than hers. I was, I was kind of oh, now I have to edit that out of the podcast. Okay. <laughs> For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they, were, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. All the way to eight. For land that was drunk, excuse me, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. That's some terrifying stuff right there. I'm going to read you what Grudem says about this. These are no doubt people who have been affiliated closely with the fellowship of the church. They have some, they've had some sorrow for sin or repentance. They've had clearly understood the gospel. They've been enlightened. They have come to appreciate the attractiveness of the Christian life and change that comes about in people's lives because of becoming a Christian. They have probably had answers to prayers in their own lives and felt the power of the Holy Spirit at work, perhaps even using some spiritual gifts in the manner of unbelievers, as in Matthew 7.22. We just talked about the prophesying and demons and the like. They've become associated with the work of the Holy Spirit or become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the heavenly gift and the powers of the age to come. They've been exposed to the true preaching of the Word and have appreciated much of its teachings. But then, in spite of all this, if they commit apostasy and crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold Him up to contempt, then they are willfully rejecting all of the blessings and turning decidedly against them. Perhaps all of us have known in our own churches people who sometimes by their own profession have long been affiliated with the fellowship of the church but are not themselves born-again Christians. They have thought about the gospel for years and have continued to resist the wooing of the Holy Spirit in their lives, perhaps through an unwillingness to give up lordship of their lives to Jesus and preferring to cling to it themselves. Now the author of Hebrews, here the author of Hebrews, tells us that if these people willfully turn away from all these temporary blessings, then it will be impossible to restore them again to any kind of repentance or sorrow for sin. Their hearts will be hardened and their consciousness calloused. What more could be done to bring them to salvation? If we tell them Scripture is true, they will say that they know it, but they've decided to reject it. If we tell them God answers prayer and changes lives, they will respond that they know that as well, but they want nothing of it. If we tell them that the Holy Spirit is powerful to work in people's lives and the gift of eternal life is good beyond description, they will say that they understand that, but they want nothing of it. Their repeated familiarity with the things of God and their experience of many influences of the Holy Spirit have simply served to harden them against conversion. The author of Hebrews wants to warn them that though they have participated in the fellowship of the church and experienced a number of God's blessings in their lives, yet if they fall away after that, there is no salvation for them. He wants to use the strongest possible language to say, here is how far a person can come in experiencing temporary blessings and still not really be saved. He is warning them to watch out because depending upon temporary blessings and experiences is not enough.
Does that scare you a little bit? Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. This will really scare you. Hebrews 10. All right. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be taught will he will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jonathan Edwards didn't come up with that line. The author of Hebrews did. See, this passage does not talk about somebody who's saved, but someone who has received some beneficial moral influence to their contact with the church. Because the believers we've already addressed are kept, are securing God's hand. He's going to win. This is the way this works. So when we talk about folks that are not following after God, we're not talking about believers. This is the reality here. So, point D, what can give a believer genuine assurance? So a couple categories of questions that Greedham proposes here. Number one, do I have a present trust in Christ for salvation? Right now, am I believing in Christ for my salvation? Hebrews 6, 11, and 12 this is one of the prayers I pray for you guys. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12. You got it? And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Yeah. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who inherited the promises? Those through faith and patience those through faith and patience. That Jesus is our example, and He has already brought some through this. People have done it. This is an encouragement to us. This can be done. John 3.16. John 3.16. For... Stop. That whosoever what? Believeth. Believeth. You know how else you could translate that? Continues believing. It's in the present active, it's a present active participle, which means right now, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Now, we don't monkey with that verse with new Bible translations because nobody would buy that copy if you messed with John 3.16, right? I mean, it's just, there's some things you just, you're just not going to sell books if you do this. But you could write this, whoever continues believing in him. See, my Christianity is about today. Number two, is there any evidence of a regenerating work in the Holy Spirit in my heart? This is personal stuff. In my heart. So 1 John 4.13. Coming back to you, Mitch. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. He has given us of His Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? It didn't say, I think we know. 
I'm going to give you all my mom's testimony, and we're going to skip the rest of the verses in two, and then go to three, and then we'll be done. Uh, my mom was an unbeliever, and she knew enough about the church that she was going to at the time to know to invite people to church. So she's a pagan, and she's inviting people to her church. And she brought one of her coworkers to hear this guy, whose name is Jim, that's why I'm named Jim, uh, preach the gospel. And he came, and she, this coworker came, and uh, this coworker said, I want to talk to this guy. So she and uh, her coworker went into the pastor's study, and the pastor starts to witness to my mom's friend. And the pastor got to the point where he says, you can know for sure that you're a Christian. And my mom said, whoa, whoa, time out just a second. What do you mean I can know? Because I was brought up Catholic, and that, that I'm, I'm kind of always nervous about this a little bit because I had to keep checking boxes my whole life. And what, tell me about this no. And my mom says that, that my pastor, he, he said, you could see this visible, oh, you're not the target in the room. You're the target in the room. And everything just shifted, and she accepted Christ because of the fact she wanted to know that she could be saved, which I think is a beautifully wonderful thing. And I got a cool name out of it, too, so that's awesome. All right, so number three. So if you want to hear all those other verses, you can come back tonight at 5, and I'll cover them when I have a little more time. Number three, do I see a long-term pattern of growth in my Christian life? A long-term pattern of growth in my Christian life. So look at 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. This is a, this is a great passage. I mean, just... I know I threw you off. I skipped highlighted blanks. Oh, no. Miss Carrie, you got it? Hadn't heard you read yet today. <laughs> For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. virtue. So we start off with faith, and now we're going to start adding to it, right? So this is the Lego of Christianity. Here we go. We're going to start adding blocks. Faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if, you're, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that is a cruise control highway right there. That is fantastic. That is beautiful stuff. So I'm going to read you a little uh, quote from Grudem here. It says, The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints will be a tremendously comforting doctrine. No one who has such assurance should wonder, will I be able to persevere to the end of my life and therefore be saved? Everyone who gains assurance through such a self-examination should rather think, I am truly born again. I will certainly persevere to the end. On the other hand, this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, if rightly understood, should cause genuine worry and even fear in the hearts of any who are backsliding or straying away from Christ. Such persons must be clearly warned that only those who persevere to the end have been truly born again. So the question so what is the answer for someone who has never been saved? You must repent of your sins and trust Christ for your salvation. 
This is the same answer on the front end. If we're deluding ourselves into thinking that we are believers when we're really not, we need to be believers. <laughs> it's very straightforward. Children can understand this, and I am so thankful that they can. You must repent of your sin and trust Christ for your salvation. Perseverance of the saints. It's a wonderfully comforting doctrine for a believer. And it's a terrifying doctrine for an unbeliever. Terrifying. So, if you find yourself terrified, um, I'm here to talk. So, be happy to talk with you anytime about that. This is important, important stuff. So that's the lesson for today. Uh, there'll be several things that I'm able to cover tonight with a little bit more time. So if you want to come back tonight, we can do a little more expanded version of that. Uh, and then in the middle of your tables is the weekly update. So two announcements before we get to that. One, obviously we've got the egg stuffing party today. So if you were planning on sticking around, thank you. If you were not planning on sticking around, please stick around. We need many hands to make the work happen. Uh, Bree will need a couple of people to help her. So if you could check with her on the way out and make sure she's got what she needs between now and the time the egg stuffing starts, that'd be great. Uh, and then two, the McGarveys have their St. Patrick's Day extravaganza this Saturday at 5. So everybody here is invited, right? Yep. If they're not, they were now. They are now, right? <laughs> Whoops. Plan for 80. There you go. All right. Um, so it, it's always a blast. It's a lot of fun. I would strongly encourage you to do that. I think it's, uh, there's a Facebook group for that too, so uh, with directions to their house. So Sean can uh, give you directions to his place if you're interested in that. This Friday at five, Saturday, Saturday, Saturday at 5. Leave it to me to mess up the announcements. So, uh, so that weekly update in the, middle of the pay, in the middle of the table, make sure your name is at the bottom of that, that you were here. That's how we do attendance. And then uh, if you've got any prayer requests, Write those down, uh, pray over those as a table, and then you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today.